0: Welcome to One City Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Chris Conley. For more information, please visit our website at OneCityMemphis.org. Welcome to Conversations. This is Karen Conley and I'm here with Chris Conley. And we are in the middle of our Fire and Ember series. And Chris, this is week three of this series and today's message that we want to just have a conversation about was called irresistible if i can say it irresistible hospitality so um lay out the foundation maybe the the kind of the key verses just to set the stage hopefully everybody's listened to the message um, but before we kind of jump in set the stage of, of really kind of the the main thesis of this message
1: yeah so we looked at the story of zacchaeus and that Zacchaeus is this tax collector. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the crowd and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today, I must stay at your house. And because of who Zacchaeus was uh, one of the most uh, disrespected people, one of the most hated people, uh, someone that people uh, did not want to associate, definitely did not want to have him into their house it was radical. Why in the world would Jesus, out of all these people, pick out Zacchaeus and say, today I must stay at your house? And so this passage gives us a window into just the, the heart of Jesus, that, that he sees everyone. Uh, no one's an outsider to Jesus. Uh, regardless of what one has or has not done, they are valuable to Jesus. And so really when we say irresistible hospitality, what we've seen is when we look at the Greek origin of that word, one of the meanings of the word is it's the love of the stranger. And can we imagine what would be different in our country today if we were really good at loving the stranger? Would we have all the division that we have today? Would we have all the criticism that we have today? Uh, unfortunately, our society has turned into a culture of um, you know, just really ugly criticism. And, and yet, if we were known by hospitality, uh, if we were known you know, as a people that went above and beyond Uh, to love well, all of these problems, I think, would disappear.
0: Well, Chris, as you approach this particular message, you had the passage of Zacchaeus, and then the second passage that um, you brought forward was in Luke um, 7, 36 through 50, where the woman in the city comes in, and she brings the uh, anointing oil, and she wipes uh, this her her hair wipes Jesus's feet, and this just very dramatic moment. And and as I was thinking about both the Zacchaeus passage and then the powerful um, story here, and you talked about how in this story, and I'm 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 going to trust that people have listened to the message um, as as I don't give the full context of this, but you made the comment that Simon played the role of the enemy and the prostitute plays the role of the host. And I think just in both of these passages, the the thing that we often miss is how God saw those scenes versus how we do. And we are, we're so quick to judge. We're so quick to evaluate. We're so quick to put people in categories and and try to, you know, make ourselves in a higher category than them. And that's honestly, the antithesis of what Jesus is about.
1: Everything that the woman who was a sinner, kind of that's, that was you know the, what they classified her as, everything that she did, Simon as the host should have done. Now, granted, she did it in an extravagant way because of the way that she was expressing her love for the forgiveness that she has received and for just the, how she's overwhelmed by the encounter that she's had with Jesus. But what Jesus does in this story is he shows that there's this duplicity, that Simon is looking down on this woman while he is ignoring all the common courtesies that would normally take place as the host in the way that you honor a guest. And he has really, in many ways, dishonored Jesus by doing none of those things. But yet here's this woman who he is looking down upon, whom he wants nothing to do with. He thinks he's so much better than her. But yet she is modeling uh, honor and she's modeling just this extreme level of, you know, exp- expression of love.
0: You know, it's interesting. You said he dishonored Jesus while he was criticizing her. And I think, you know, just as you said that, I just thought, wow, that, that's an application question for all of us. You know, in how many ways are we busy criticizing other people? And as we're doing that, we're dishonoring Jesus. And that's not obviously anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. That's not what we want to do. But man, sometimes we, we need to step back and realize, even as we read these accounts and think, oh, well, those people that were so off base that they'd be critical of Zacchaeus or of this woman, like, don't they? They're so off. And then sometimes we go, wait a minute. Maybe there's somewhere that I'm off. Maybe there's somewhere that I'm being critical of somebody that I don't understand. And so I I think it's a valuable um, thing for us to really evaluate in our own lives to say, okay, how are we truly living out these truths of what Jesus taught us about loving other people?
1: How do we get the speck out of our own eye versus looking at the log in someone else's eye? That kind of truth, you know? And the fascinating thing about this, and 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 I, I think there's even to me it reveals a little bit of just the brilliance of Jesus and somewhat the 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 humor of Jesus that in the first story, Zacchaeus is the featured character and and in any in many ways becomes kind of the the envied hero of the story. In the second story, if if it wasn't bad enough to feature a tax collector you feature a woman who is a known sinner kind of a what you know history would tell us is a sex worker or a prostitute and so then Jesus makes this woman the hero of the story Jesus is phenomenal in the way that he gives these illustrations that are irrefutable that humble us that have to make us go wow how arrogant how self-righteous, how prideful. And he just brings us back to, oh, I'm sorry. You know, yeah, I am thinking of myself better than someone else. And no, if I were to truly be like Jesus in this moment, I would value the least of these as much as I value the most of these.
0: So as this series, Fire and Ember, has started, we're in the midst of really encouraging all the people that are in the Memphis area that are listening to us and are part of one city church to be a part of these new dinner groups. And so, so the practical application for, for many of us, as we think about hospitality, as we think about building friendship, um, it is, it kind of goes two directions. And I just wonder if for a moment, um, we might be able to spend some time, you mentioned this in your message, the difference between hospitality and entertainment. And I thought it was just a, a very, that comparison contrast really is eye-opening to, to help us really look at, okay, what, what do I really spend my time doing if either of these? And obviously, you know, COVID has kind of put a, a damper on on both of these, but, but especially sh- entertainment. Especially. But but for a moment, make that comparison and contrast and let's let's evaluate that. Yeah. So
1: there's a radical difference between entertainment and hospitality. And we even see this in the design of our homes, okay, that 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, there would be homes designed with a front porch. And today we've really kind of designed our home more with a back porch. There would be a family room in the front of the house with a a big window in the front of the house. And there wouldn't be an entertainment center in the front of the house in the family room. There would be a coffee table. It was a room designed to really host people and have conversation. Um, whereas nowadays what we've done is we've kind of, you know, moved even the family room to the back of the house and the feature, uh, the focus of the family room is more of an entertainment center than it is a coffee table. We've designed our houses to be places to kind of hide from the world in retreat versus open up and invite in. Um, in the world of being a good neighbor, we, you know, hit our garage door button and it goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down and we go in and we go out and we almost never say anything to anyone. And I have been incredibly guilty of that through the years. You and I are about to move into a new home in about two, two and a half months. And one of the things we want to do radically different is we want to just literally in proximity, be good neighbors. And so when you think about this difference between entertainment and hospitality, entertainment is often about exclusion, whereas hospitality is about inclusion. Entertainment, the nicer the party, uh, the more money that's spent on the party. It's a VIP party, right? And you've got to be somebody to get an invitation to that party. And so you've got to become somebody to be invited. Otherwise, you're excluded. Hospitality is about inclusion and it's inviting everyone. And in the, the theme of you know what Jesus does, he always includes the insider and the outsider. It's about the family of God loving one another and being together, but it's always us bringing the outsider in and making them an insider. But there's also in in entertainment, it's about performance, whereas hospitality is about service. So in the entertainment world, you know, there's got to be something that is, you know, done in complete excellence. Uh, There's some type of, you know, you've got a musician, you've got an artist, you've got a sporting event, you've got something to entertain us. Whereas hospitality is really all about how well can I create an environment to serve you to bless you to encourage you to meet your needs whereas entertainment um you know when you're the one doing the entertaining uh you're the host or the guest okay and you know there's a certain role that each one plays and um you know the the host wants to gain certain things from this party. And it may be gaining in prominence. It may be gaining in, you know, kind of what people think of you as the host in the sense that you've thrown this amazing party, you know, or you're the guest that, that you're going there and, you know, you're important because you're going there and you're going there and you get to kind of, you know, hang out with other important people. All right. Whereas in the world of hospitality, the lines are intentionally blurred between the host and the guest. There are times that Jesus is very much the host. There's times that he chooses to be the servant and he gets up from the table and he takes the water basin and he takes the towel and he washes the disciples' feet. That he is constantly uh, going back and forth between what it means to be the host and to be you know, uh, the, the, the guest and, and to take comprehensive uh, perspective of the well-being of everyone. All right, in the world of entertainment, it's, it's more of a scheduled event. It's, you know, it depends on what's happening on the calendar and, you know, kind of the time of year and the events. And, you know, it can be a little bit sporadic. In the world of hospitality, it's a way of life. It's something that you do consistently. It's something that has uh, built in repetition. It's, it's all about overlapping relationships. In the world of entertainment, it's, uh, uh, how do you say this word? It's reciprocity. Yeah, reciprocity. Um, so it's like, I scratch your back, you scratch my back, you know, Hey, I invited you, you invite me, um, in the world of, um, hospitality, it's all about generosity. I'm giving because it's more blessed to give than to receive. I'm inviting because it's a privilege and an honor to have you in my home. I would do, I'd rather do nothing more than to serve you.
0: So as you're sharing these, this contrast between the entertainment and hospitality and then even just I'm sitting here thinking about just literally the way that we have changed the shape of, of homes and the, the, the design of homes and how that reflects us, you know, that as we think about, okay, why would someone move to a place to become generous to open up their home, to go to the effort and the trouble to do that? Um, Why should they do that now? And I think to answer that question, it might be worthy for us to discuss what caused that to change? You know, why, you know, the, hey, I go in my house and I close my door When I think about that, that's because I'm exhausted. I don't have anything left. I just want some downtime. I'm an introvert. You know, those kinds of things come to my mind as to it's true. We, you know, we haven't been fantastic neighbors. Why have I not been a fantastic neighbor? And what is it that I need to shift that that's not the answer?
1: Well, when we don't have margin in our life, um, one of the things that we quickly reduce or eliminate is relationship, is friendship. So, you know, we oftentimes have made the priority of our life is, you know, achieving in our career so that we make more money so that we have more things. And in the process of doing that, um, that focus on achievement creates neglect of relationship. And, you know, we do, we exhaust ourselves in the world of, we rise early, we stay up late, you know, even technology has caused us to work around the clock. Um, We rarely give ourselves the ability to just check out. Um, Honestly, one of the things that we don't do well, and we're going to talk about this uh, in the month of June, is we're going to talk about the Sabbath. That, you know, We need to build rhythms of rest into our life. And so it's a convergence of many, many different circumstances. Busyness is the enemy of intimacy. It's the enemy of friendship. It's the enemy of um, things that happen in the margin. Um, Technology, we we have more connectivity than we've ever had before, but we're less connected than we've ever been. So it's one of those things where just, um, I honestly, I think the church also accidentally fell into the trap and we played the game of consumerism. And instead of just choosing to be different, we also became very concerned about how much time we were asking for people. And we turned everything into a program versus more a relational driven model. And when we have a relational driven model, uh, that requires an investment of time, we are not going to see the promises of God fulfilled in our life minus significant friendships minus quality and in-depth friendships. We need one another and it's just not going to happen, uh, apart from that level of investment in one another.
0: Well, and I, I think, you know, as you're describing um, just kind of where we as a culture can end up, I think, you know, that it's interesting that we we think the solution is, I'm going to keep doing all of the things that I'm trying to find my identity in, all the things that are going to either make me more financially secure or that make me feel better about myself, or what the things that we do that drive us to not have margin. And then those things knock us out of, you know, out of alignment. And the answer is, I'm going to retreat. But then the unintentional consequence of that is we feel isolated and disconnected. And then here we are in this vicious cycle. And so
1: Well, and we hear so many people, we say, oh, I just am so weary, so tired. And what they choose, they take a break from God. Mm -hmm. They take a break from church. They take a break from other people. And that's just playing into the enemy's hands once again. If we are in a vibrant relationship with God, if we're truly worshiping, not just attending church, if we really are building quality friendships, if we're serving one another, then uh, that's the place you want to be. It's not the place you have to be. It's, it's the, it, it's, you can't make people go home because they're enjoying what they're doing. They're enjoying being with one another. Um, you know, one of the things that I've read in this series is that sociologists say that people are never happier than when they're gathered around a table with
0: family and friends. Hmm. I'm encouraged and excited as we enter into this new season, um, that, that there really is going to be something that is rediscovered by many of us. And, And I can think back of, um, groups that we've been a part of that were these sustained relationships where honestly, we, we were strangers at the beginning, But by coming together consistently month after month, week after week, year after year, we became truly invested in each other's lives. And when things went wrong, then we had people that would come and and be there and knew us. And it wasn't a stranger trying to love us in a time of need. It was somebody who knew us intimately. And all of us, we don't build friendships you know, to plan on a bad day or a a crisis in our life, you know, let's, let's get to know some people in case something goes wrong, but think about what goes right when you begin to build those patterns and you build those relationships with people that are sharpening you.
1: Yeah. So relationships, um, they can't be programmed. Like if, if a relationship is always something you should do, you need to do, you ought to do versus something you want to do when a relationship is a two-way relationship, when a relationship's known more by giving than receiving, then what happens in that relationship is every time we're together, it's an energy giving relationship every time we're together, it brings life to both people. Uh, so what we see is whatever you do, never think that less relationship is the answer. Uh, less friendships, never the answer. Um, you know, just me and Jesus honestly is not the answer that we have got to run this race together. Um, you know, one of the things that, We always say in marriage uh, advice or marriage counseling or pre-marriage counseling, especially pre-marriage counseling, is when you're looking for your spouse, see who's running the race with you, not who's watching from the stands. And and we say, you know, it's okay if they're running a little ahead of you. It's okay if they're running a little bit behind you, but it's absolutely essential that they're within sight (laughs) and you're running together. And if you're running together, you have a shared experience, but if one of you is running and one of us is watching, then there's no shared experience and there's disconnect everywhere along the way. And so we need to run the race together as believers, as friends. And when we do that, then the mission of God is not overwhelming. The mission of God is possible because we can accomplish anything together and we can accomplish virtually nothing alone
0: you know, it's interesting as you were speaking, I think even in the huddle this morning, the thought occurred to me because obviously, you know, I can, I can imagine somebody thinking, you know, this all sounds great, but man, I've had my heart broken. I've had relationships that just people who've hurt me and I've got my guard up and, you know, is it really worth it? And just the the ways that just, you know, humanity can be, can be painful sometimes walking this journey. And I thought today, you know, Jesus knew absolutely everything. And he knew that Judas was going to betray him and he still invited him. He still walked that whole journey out, even knowing that betrayal was going to be a part of it. And so it, to me, it was just an interesting dynamic I hadn't considered in, in just kind of thinking through that, You know, even with that, knowing that that was how that was going to end, God's path still needed and included relationship and community. Even because one person, you know, betrayed didn't mean let's not have disciples, didn't mean we don't need community, um, and that that that's a part of even Jesus's journey was Uh, to be betrayed. Yeah.
1: And the other 11, watch how he handled that situation Mm. and to see... You know, who is this man who proclaims to be the author of love? And is he that even when he's betrayed? You know, how we respond um, says the most about who we are.
0: Well, I hope that as we continue in this series, um, there's so many more dynamics that we will discuss in upcoming podcasts, but I hope this has been food for thought for you. I hope it gives you a desire to prioritize, um, bringing people into your circle, bringing people into your home, and investing time um, to show them the love of Christ, but also that you would be a recipient of it as well. So I hope you guys will join us next time and next week for part four of Fire and Ember, and have a good one. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend, and be sure to subscribe to this channel. So, you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.